Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast, helping moms to love wisely and well. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Wild, integrative pediatrician and mom of eight sons who continually challenge and teach me. Over the years, I've learned that rather than outward technique, it's the internal landscape of the heart that affects parenting more than anything else. Mothering is about being, not just doing. You have everything you need within you to become the parent you want to be. So let's bring it out. Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast. Today we have the honor of speaking with Lenore Skenazy. After she wrote an article for the newspaper many years ago called Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone, it sparked a whole movement that she has spearheaded. She has written the book Free Range Kids, and she is the creator of the nonprofit called Let Grow that promotes childhood independence. Thank you, Lenore, for being with us. Thank you, doctor. So what? let's just jump right in and hear from you what you think are the biggest barriers that prevent parents from giving kids the independence they need. Well, let's start with the fact that I do feel for parents because, you know, we're accused of being helicopter, harpies, lawnmowers, whatever, curling parents. And yet we have a culture that expects us to spend, to never let our kids have any unsupervised time. There was this fantastic article, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago in, in the Atlantic by a woman named Hannah Roizen. And at one point she's talking about the, the how amazing adventure playgrounds are where kids get to you know, climb things and make things and use hammers and um, and the parents aren't even allowed on the premises. And she said that it was a revelation for her because her child was was 10 or 11 at that point. And she and her, her husband together realized that that daughter had had not spent probably 10 minutes unsupervised in her entire life. Wow. And, yeah. And, and here you have somebody who's writing about the adventure playground because she loves giving her kid this independence. And it is so hard to do that you needed to go to a special place to do it. So one of the reasons that it's so hard, I'd say the reason it's so hard to give our kids independence is because um, a culture has grown up that thinks that anytime a child is not supervised directly by an adult, they are in danger. They're in danger of, uh, I like to say, they're in danger of being kidnapped, raped and eaten, right? <laughs> or not getting into Harvard. <laughs> and way, right? We're just terrified. I mean, it's, uh, and so you're expected to be with them because either they will be hurt physically or emotionally or psychologically or some which way in your brain, or they will be um, hurt by, you know, a bully or a car or a, um, you know, something will be um, unacceptably dangerous. They're, the idea that kids can handle any kind of situation on their own has dissipated to the point of thinking you're a terrible parent if you're not with the kid. I mean, my, my favorite example I give of this is a parent's magazine article, a parent's magazine, Bible of parenting. What should I do? How should I raise my kid? Let me read about it in parents. Oh, here's a big article on how to have the perfect play date. And one mom writes to the magazine and says, you know, my daughter's old enough to stay home alone now. She does. I go to the grocery, I go to the dry cleaner, but now she's got a friend over. Can I let them stay home alone together? And the magazine wrote back, absolutely not. 
what if your kid gets physically hurt? What if they use the microwave? What if they get burned? Okay, you know, physical fear after physical fear. But then also the magazine literally said, and what if there's a spat? You want to be able to jump in before anyone's feelings get too hurt. Hmm. So, so first of all, they're rewriting childhood as this disaster, you know, one disaster after another. Secondly, they're suggesting that if your kid is in an argument with her friend, even that is too much to expect her to deal with, right? It could hurt her so much. And then finally, the answer is for you to be there intervening. And I consider that article, the Rosetta Stone of why we're being driven crazy as parents and why our kids are so anxious. Because if you have somebody with you, always there to protect you, you start feeling, well, there must be something that I need to be protected from, right? And then if you have somebody solving the problems for you, I mean, you know, you you talk about this, you deal with anxiety. Obviously, if somebody else is intervening to solve the problems, not only do you not get experience figuring it out on your own, but it starts to seem like that problem is too huge for you to even deal with, right? You need somebody else with you. And that's, that's why we're with our kids all the time. That's why society expects us to be with kids all the time. Society is reinforcing it with articles like that parents magazine dribble. Mm-hmm. And then we all get used to it and, and it becomes our social life too. I mean, I did it too. When, when did I see my friends? Like when was I guaranteed like a bridge club party to see my <laughs> friends? It was when my kids were doing baseball. Right. And, you know, I just had an experience recently, just this, just this week with back to school activities. Um, so there was this, activity sponsored at my kid's school and I said to my intermediate school child you can walk there on your own but if your younger brothers want to go they have to wait for me well they didn't wait for me and they just walked themselves it was like three blocks you know and then what what was I to do I did talk to them about not listening to me but I was recognizing that I almost felt kind of negligent. It's ridiculous. You know, I am caught in it too. And why should they wait for me for a half hour to be late to this event so they don't have have this adventure together? And so it is something I think that we have to untangle ourselves from. We have to be very intentional to untangle ourselves from it. And I also think of a quote from Einstein where he says that one of the biggest questions that we have to decide is, is this, is our universe a friendly place or not? And what are we teaching our kids? Is the universe a friendly place or is it not? And as you said, as we start sending these messages that, oh, it's so dangerous, there's, um, there are problems lurking at every corner and you can't even be left to yourself to deal with it, then we are really hammering in uh, a message that is opposite of self-efficacy. Can you tell us what you see as the biggest areas of misinformation that parents have about child safety? Yeah, but first of all, I wanna say that earlier it said something about over-rescuing kids. I mean, what I think is cool about what your kids just did is they problem solved. Mom is pokey. If we wanna <laughs> get to this thing, we are we are safe, we know the route, we have an older sibling with us, Let's do it. And so, you know, we're almost undermining their smarts as well as their independence when we say, wait, 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 I'll do it with you. Let me do it for you. That's too hard. I, I, my friend had her um, sister-in-law and niece over and the niece picked, who's 14, picked up a bagel and then paused and said, wait a minute, mom, can I cut this? 
And her mom said, I'd rather you not. Oh, right. And so in a way, she's being nice. She's being helpful. She's making sure her kid doesn't get, you know, a, a, a sliced artery from bagel cutting. Bagel cutting is really, you know, in, in, in our safe society, it's like one of the least safe things you can do, considering <laughs> that every, you know, we don't have diphtheria anymore. Um, but come on. I mean, don't don't um, reverse engineer your kids to being incapable or incapable when they're ready to be competent. It's just right. Crazy. <laughs> Right. That's a, a brilliant insight. So the question I had asked was, what are the bi- biggest areas of misinformation about child safety that we are fed? Right. Parents? Well, um, it seems that a lot of people believe that their kids are in danger of being kidnapped um, and, and, you know, kidnapped and trafficked or kidnapped and raped or kidnapped and killed. And so um, over the years, I've been speaking with David Finkelhor, who is the head of something called the Crimes Against Children Research Center. He's a professor at the University of New Hampshire. And uh, the, you know, my son also pointed out that the minute you start talking about statistics of children who are kidnapped, you've lost the game. Um, So the fact that it's about 100 kids a year, it doesn't go up or down because it's it's um, just it's a very small number relatively, but it's a very big number when parents think, oh my God, one of them could be me, my kid. And so one of the ways I try to counter that is by, I mean, like sort of countering the fact that we really can't contemplate risk. We can't understand what is a hundred out in, in a country of 330 something million people. We, it doesn't matter. You know, even Stalin got this. He said that, you know, um, uh, you know, one death is a tragedy and a million is a statistic. Mm-hmm. And so when you're thinking of a smaller number like 100, it becomes very, very scary. So sometimes I like to ask parents, um, if you wanted your kid to be kidnapped in a law and order type, SVU type kidnapping, how long would you have to keep your kid outside for this to be statistically likely? And rather than tormenting you with trying to figure out that number, I can tell you it's 750,000 years. Sort of like how many lottery tickets would you have to buy for it to be statistically likely that you would win the lottery next week? Mm-hmm. So it is so so the odds are overwhelmingly fantastic that this will never happen to your kid. But I've realized in 15 years of discussing this that statistics move no one, absolutely no one. Um, and especially because your brain works like Google. And if you ask your brain, you know, uh, where can I get a good pastrami sandwich in New York where I live? It will come up with very relevant answers. Try Katz's, try, you know, some deli in Brooklyn, whatever. The point is that the first page of your results is relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, When you ask your brain, is my kid safe at the bus stop? Up comes Aton Pates, taken from a bus stop in 1979. Up comes J.C. Dugard, taken from a bus stop in you know, kidnapped for a zillion years. I mean, up come the most horrific stories because these are the easiest ones for us to retrieve. We cannot retrieve a picture of all the bored kids or me freezing in Chicago, (laughs) frozen kids waiting at the bus stop for the last 40 years. All we can remember are the, the horrible stories that happen once a decade. And so because they are easy to retrieve, we think they are more common because there they are on the front page of our Google brain results. Mm-hmm. So, so talking about statistics doesn't help because these pictures are there. And the only thing I've found that helps parents recalculate risk and danger is actually what just happened with you. Literally what happened with you. 
Mm-hmm. When your kids do something on their own without you, it replaces the, oh my God, they can't do that safely without me. Mm-hmm. Or, oh my God, I shouldn't let them do that without me with, look at my kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, they were smart. They were safe. They got there on time. Um, they problem solved. They're at the party sooner. They're having a great time. They figured out how to live their life. And the the joy that parents generally feel upon seeing their kids be smart and independent and resourceful and part of the world, that's the only thing that replaces the fear. Statistics don't recalculate you at all. The only thing that presses recalculating is recognizing that your kids are great. And I think one other thing that came to mind for me was just the idea of is offering our kids this gift of independence, this gift to explore, is this a principle? Is this a principle to live by? Because I mean, when I think about like, what would I have done if my kids were growing up in the civil rights movement? What would I have done if I lived, you know, in Europe during World War II? Would I have put my family at risk to do the right thing? And if we can convince ourselves that the right thing is to foster independence in childhood, then maybe that too can help us overcome risk. Because what, you know, what do we really want for our kids? Who do we want them to be? And what are we willing to risk to allow them to be that? Yeah, no, it really is interesting. Um, It's interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, thank God walking three blocks to school is not the same as, you know, harboring Anne Frank in your (laughs) attic. But, you know, the chances are a little better that your kid is going to make it out alive. And, And secondly, I mean... Sometimes you have to even take a step further back and say, why am I framing this as risk? I mean, by by already deciding like, okay, it's risky, but I'm going to let her have a play date with her friend for half an hour while I go to the grocery. Ah." (laughs) You know, I mean, it's already the culture has already, you know, seeped into your veins and turned your blood cold with fear. Mm hmm. So what our culture is fantastic at is turning everyday life into a huge trauma slash fear slash danger. I I was just, you know, it's back to school time, as you know. (laughs) And so I get all these press releases because I'm still on all these lists. But there was a, a therapist who was saying, like, how to prepare your child for all the fear and worry of going back to school. And it said, give them a lot of, you know, give them toys and silly putty to play with if they're anxious and pictures to look at to remind themselves that you're at home and you love them and you know try to always talk to them about I understand why you could be so afraid and 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 the whole thing was written from the idea that it is absolutely normal to be terrified of a day at school and I realized that you know we all live through COVID and things are weird and, and kids are anxious but there is also something Strange about a culture that only sees kids as vulnerable and terrified and never brave or capable. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's a really, a really important thing you're pointing out that why even frame it that way? Why even talk about it as this risk rather than look at this opportunity? This is a look at this normal thing of life. Every kid in the world until 20 years ago was walking to school, was dealing with first day jitters, 
was um, capable of climbing a tree uh, without <laughs> a parent underneath saying, okay, now lift your right leg. There's a strong branch. No, you don't want that branch. I mean, there's so much instruction and assistance and supervision um, that undermines the idea that kids are built to be smart and curious and figure things out and deal with some, um, you know, some frustration and some bumps and bruises along the way. Mm-hmm. That we are we are not doing them a service. It's like the princess and the pea. They were so proud that their daughter, the princess, could feel the pea under seventeen mattresses, and I'd be <laughs> proud if she couldn't, <laughs> or if she dealt with it. Oh my God, she's like there's a pea under seventeen mattresses. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Um, and I remember a specific day when um, so. I used to live in Minneapolis area with my kids and we had these two tall pine trees in front of our house and my kids loved to climb them to the very, very top and just like ride them in the wind. And I just right. had to like not look at them. Right, that's, that's it. Wait, pause, pause. You're laughing. That was your strategy. That is the strategy I'm recommending. Yes. That is literally it. They're going to be doing some things. I mean, That's why I don't blame quote unquote helicopter parents. If you're there with your kids, it's impossible not to intervene. I know this personally. When I'm with my kids, they are in their 20s now, and I see them crossing the street with me and they're glancing down at a text. I want to kill them, which is ironic because I'm mad that they might die (laughs) getting them, but I want to kill them. And the reason is, and yet I know that every day they must be crossing many a street and I'm not with them. So the minute you're with your kids, you want to make them safer and you have a better idea of how to do it. Don't, my God, you're trying to make lemonade, you know, don't put it on a plate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> try a picture, you idiot. You know, I mean, you're always going to be coming up with better ways for them to do things because you're older and you're more experienced. And frankly, you had a child when you were allowed to, childhood when you were allowed to do things. And so the only, the only solution I'm coming up with lately is not to come up with better phrases instead of be careful, say you can do it or I believe in you. It's like, get out of the picture, leave, right? (laughs) Stay inside and don't look out the window while they're playing. Give them this vote of confidence that is a shot of confidence when they see that you aren't always with them. And, And one of the things I worry about that's going to undermine us all is the fact that cell phones make it way too easy for us to see where they are and way too easy for them to call us when they hit a, you know, a roadblock and say, now, what should I do? And so, and I like giving my kids advice when they call for advice, but I, but I sort of am sad that they have this ability to tap into our experience and our maturity all the time when to build their own, they need to go through some of this. Yeah, that is so true. And and literally when my kids were up in that tree, I had this dialogue with myself like, I want kids who climb trees. I want little boys who climb trees. I am you know, not going to look up, you know, and, um, and, and I think that that is something we can ask ourselves, like, do I want a child who does this thing? And um and I will say that, so I am a mom of eight boys and oh my God, how that is basically like daily desensitization therapy. <laughs> Look, by the time you have eight boys, I think you must be pretty desensitized. Right, right. So cool. I am so envious. What a cool brood to have. That's neat. I have two boys. Eight boys yeah, is so cool. <laughs> that is wonderful. And, 
And I recently had a 16 year old son riding on the subway system in New York City. So anyway, all, all things aside, I think I was, you know, I wanted to make sure we touched upon, you know, how we can prevent our own anxieties from entering in. And I think we sort of answered that. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, yeah. Um, first of all, I recognize anxiety because I certainly have plenty of it. And um, so, you know, so I started the free range kids movement and that was, you know, when my son took the subway when he was nine, now he's 24. So I've had a lot of years to think about this. And when I started Let Grow, which wasn't just me, it was also um, uh, one, of the, one of the founders was a man named Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm -hmm. And another co-founder with me was Peter Gray who wrote a book called Free to Learn about how kids learn when they're interested and engaged and, and especially when they're playing. And it's really hard to get information into them when they're bored and mm -hmm. don't see the relevance of anything. But anyways, um, when we started Let Grow, not Let's Go or whatever people think it is, Let Grow, our goal was to change behavior um, because it's only by behavior change that you get rewired. You can think about it, think about it. Oh, I want a kid who's independent. Oh, I think risk is good. Oh, what would I do when, you know, um, if Anne Frank came knocking on my door? I mean, all these things are theoretical. When you actually see your kids climb to the top of the tree or come back from an errand and they've been successful or they've been unsuccessful and yet they handled it. They were chased by a dog and they're home now and it's a-okay and they, they're ready to go out again. I mean, that's the only thing that rewires parents' anxiety mm -hmm. is the actual experience of having um, a very emotional and real um, experience with your kids doing something by themselves. And so Let Grow has one thing that we really push hard, and that's why I'm pushing it now. It's called the Let Grow Project. Mm -hmm. We recommend that schools do it. You can do it at home too, but it's great when a school does it. And I'll tell you what it is. It's school gives all the kids the homework assignment, go home and do something new that you feel you're ready to do that for one reason or another you haven't done yet on your own without your parents. And the reason this is such a crucial and free um, thing that we want the world to do is because um, parents don't know anymore when they're allowed to let go, mm -hmm. right? They don't know. I mean, like you're, you were worried about your kids walking to school. It's like your mom wouldn't have worried that way. She would have right. known that when your kid is you know, it's five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's okay. And now parents have no idea. And in fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics, busy undermining parental confidence for a hundred years, um, just said that uh, kids should be 10 before they're allowed to cross the street by themselves, which is defied by, you know, you know, the, the world history. Let's just put it that way. Kids have always <laughs> been able to walk to school or cross the street before age 10, you know, with our, with our teaching them a little bit about to look both ways and stuff like right. that. Anyway, so when kids get this homework assignment and they bring it home, they say, mom, I have to do something on my own. Oh no. Yeah, but it's homework. Oh, well, I trust the school and everybody else is doing it. Okay. What do you want to do? And then they talk about it. I want to walk, you know, I want to go to the store or I want to climb that tree or I want to make dinner for the family, whatever it is. Um, when the kid does it, that's the, that's the charm. That's the only thing that I've seen in 15 years of talking about the same topic that changes parents is the joy that they feel on realizing their kid is blossoming into an, you know, into a young person and not just a, an embryo that desperately needs constant supervision. Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing I can say except get your school to do the let grow project or your kid's teacher, or if you're a teacher, assign it and then tell me about it. Cause we don't get enough stories. 
Um, but when I have been to schools where they've done the LECRO project, I mean, we've heard amazing things. And my favorite story is one principal who said, now the kids aren't sticking out their feet as much. And, and I asked, what are you talking about? Do you know what, you know what, do you know what she was talking about? No. <laughs> yeah. I thought like, oh, so they stopped tripping each other. What a weird school that they were all tripping each other. Um, and, and no, it wasn't that it was that they, they stopped asking the teacher to tie their shoes. Oh, interesting. Because confidence and competence and uh, they, they, they not only go together, they feel good. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking like, I'm not the kid who needs help. I'm the kid who can, or I did this myself. And so it changes the kid, it changes the parent, and it changes the culture. Because if you have a whole classroom or school or district of kids all doing the LECRO project, and then they're comparing notes. Some schools read the, the you know, their Lecro projects out loud over the PA system. Some have little ceremonies at the end celebrating the kids. And I've heard of places where like one kid goes to the, the market and everybody wonders, where's your mother? And then I'm doing the Lecro project. And then other kids start doing it. And it's like, oh, of course, it's a Lecro kid. And it becomes a Lecro town or a community. Hmm. And so that's, I mean, I'm on your podcast <laughs> because I'm trying to get more buy-in for this extraordinarily simple intervention that changes things dramatically with no pain. Yes. Well, I love that. And I will put a link to that website and that project in the show notes for sure. Um, so going back, you know, rewind over 10 years when your child was going on the subway. Um, so looking at the original article that you wrote, it sounded like he asked for that experience. Yes. What about kids who were trying to like kind of nudge them forward and say, you know, like order your food at the restaurant or, you know, and they're like, no, no. What about those kids that resist the independence we're trying to hand to them? Do you have any things to say? Yeah, I do. Um, first of all, I recognize that, you know, and also like we've been discussing, there's a culture that has been telling us to do everything for them, or if they're anxious, just intervene. They don't want to order, order for them. So um, there's a couple of things. One is, did I mention this? The Let Grow Project. Everybody else in their class is doing something <laughs> on their own. They have to start doing it. Another thing that works for some people, you know, mm -hmm. just like kids really are hardwired to want to help the family. And mm -hmm. especially if there's like no time to talk about it. Oh my God, I see them coming out, you know, up the driveway now, go out the back door and go down through, you know, houses and ask the Gastons if we can borrow their toaster or whatever. So, <laughs> so uh, a manufactured problem is sometimes um, uh, just a way to, to make that change happen. And then once kids are outside, the other thing is like, um, this this was an idea of somebody else. It was a, a lady, Audrey Monk, who wrote Happy Campers. She's a camp counselor or mm. camp director. And she said, um, rather than like saying, come on, kids, get off your computers. I want this beautiful day outside, you know, which is you being a drag. It's like set up something so that like obviously from two to four every day in the summer, that's outdoor time. That's it. You're just it's not it's not negotiable. It's not me nagging. It's just, oh, it's two o'clock. Computers are going off. It's outdoor time. And so it be, and, and the thing is that once kids have something to do that is outdoors or without you, they will keep doing it because things are interesting out there. You know, you end up watching something or doing something or trying something or observing. And 
Um, and then they don't come in. It's like a body outside tends to remain outside. And you just have to get them outside to begin with and keep them there for long enough. I did this once as an intervention with a mom who just needed me to come over and she was writing about it. And her kids were 10 and I don't know, seven or six. And they were, I was like, just keep them outside for half an hour. And they they kept coming in. I need water. I need a snack. He's bothering me. And I was like, kids, I gave them my watch. I took my watch. I said, see, <laughs> see where this hand is? This big hand has to be over here. And I pointed to half an hour from the, before you're allowed back in. And mom, see, see this window? We're moving you away from it. <laughs> you're going to be in an interior room where you can't see them and they can't come into you. And once again, the solution was literally separating the kids from the parents so that the kids started getting interested in something rather than the parents saying like, oh, look, a bug. I wonder what genus this bug is. Let's think about it. Let's let's Google it. It's a moth, isn't it? Well, moths eat whatever they eat. I mean, you just can't take everything out of kids' lives and make it more interesting and exciting and educational with you always being there. Yes. Kids need to develop to develop their curiosity. They can't have the the you know, the, the, the teacher next to them all the time saying, oh, you're curious. Let's look this up. Oh, I'm interested. It's like, let them flourish. Let them flounder. Let them fly. And you can't do that if you're always with them. Yes. No, really, we forgot that there are a lot of teachable moments without teachers. I mean, most of the stuff you learn as kids, you know, there's so much I learned in school that I don't remember, but I remember how to make a friend. You know, I remember you know, how to cook, <laughs> I remember, <laughs> right? All this stuff just about just about being an, a human being is not all taught. And sometimes when things become too didactic and educational, a kid turns off. It's like, okay, that's your thing. Great. You know, you're talking about manufacturing emergencies and like being a mom of a big family. I'm like, who needs to manufacture emergencies? Right, like, right. And, you know, they're definitely taking to the hospital. <laughs> there are definitely ways that we can involve kids and help them realize that they're a part of the ecosystem, that they're mm -hmm. an important part, that they're needed, that they can play a role. You know, in in, you know, 200 years ago when kids worked on the farms and they were part of the family economy in a much more real sense. But too much now, kids don't feel like they have a role. Like they, they look around and they see that like they're basically being held back from having a role. And so I think it's really important what you said about you know, allowing them to step up and step in and help solve the family problems, you know, not you know, in a developmentally appropriate way. It's talking about being contributing Contribute. instead of just taking. It feels great to give. Exactly. And be part of something. And and yet, and I'm, I'm, this is like where I, I'm on the, the thinnest device because I feel like I probably did exactly it wrong, quote unquote. Um, but there's this new book called Hunt, Gather, Parent. Mm. And it was uh, an NPR reporter who went and lived with, you know, indigenous people in, in hither and yon. Mm. And the one thing that she noticed most is that kids are always depended on. Right. I mean, even if you have to go get the berries or the sticks or, you know, you're four years old and you have to stay with the baby while something else is going on. Mm. And, you know, maybe it's boring, but but it's also making you into something other than just your parents task, you know, yeah. or pride and joy. You are actually a, a person in full. And, you know, once again, you're talking about competence and confidence. If you're the person who brought the you know, the sticks that helped made the fire that made dinner, you know, you're not just 
You're not just a leech. Right. I think that's really valuable. So when we were corresponding, um, you had mentioned that you are participating or um, aware of a study that's happening that is using the idea of independence as a therapeutic strategy for anxiety. So could you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. So um, anxiety is just gnawing at so many kids and so many parents today. And like I said, it gnaws at me too. So what is the solution? Um, one psychology professor who has been you know, a fan of Let Grow and, and the Let Grow Project said, I wonder if I could use that as therapy. And so um, along with a, a, a doctoral student, doctoral candidate, he uh, he just finished his first family. They're about to do the second family. And I, I don't want to tell you too many details because it's, you know, someday it'll be a nice scientific paper. But the point is that the first family that came to them, um, parents of just a, a single child, he's 10, they were older parents, and they were very afraid of him doing anything on his own. And he had become very afraid too. And so the professor explained to them, well, here's this idea. The idea is that um, anxiety grows the more you give into it, the more you say, okay, you don't have to do that. Oh, you're scared. Oh, I'll do that for you. Or, oh, that looks tough. And, and it um, is shattered by being almost pushed to go and, and figure out how much you can handle as mm-hmm. opposed to being told you can't handle this. And so what are some things that you haven't done yet that you're kind of scared to do that your parents have said no to that you would really like to do? And the kid said, I'll just tell you the first thing he did, which is that he said, well, he sort of wanted to walk home from school. Okay. Talks about it with parents, with the kid. Fine. I don't, I don't know what went on in the session, but I do know that the day that the kid prepared to walk home from school, the mom had to take off work. She was so outlandishly worried about whether he would make it, whether it'd be too hard, whether it'd be frustrating, whatever. Um, She couldn't function. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the level of anxiety we're talking about. And um, and sure enough, when the kid was coming home, he did go a little bit the wrong way. And the mom had friends along the route. And one second, like, he looks like he's going the wrong way, ma'am. Um, but he found his way back. And I actually think getting lost is even better than just coming straight home. <laughs> because it means that you can handle the, the fear and the worry and keep yourself together enough to figure it out and retrace your steps and go back, you know, for all I know, it was half a block. Um, but anyways, walked home. And the next day he walked home again and the mom was at work, right? She could go to work. So that's, I did a whole show. If you look on YouTube, it's called World's Worst Mom, um, <laughs> where they sent me to, they, the producer sent me, you know, each week was a different episode with a different family. And they found me 13 families that were off the charts anxious. A mom who fed her 10-year-old in his mouth with a spoon. A mom mm-hmm. who let her eight-year-old have a skateboard, but he could only stand on it on the grass. <laughs> you know, the wheels could not move. Um, a mom who took her 10-year-old not only into the bathroom with her girl, um, but then would stand in the stall with her. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just, I mean, beyond rational, okay? Mm-hmm. Would be rational. And I'm not a psychologist, right? <laughs> so I didn't know what the hell I was doing there. And thank God these people who produced the show said, Lenore, you're going to give them four challenges. I'm like, I am? Yes. <laughs> okay. And it'd be like, today you have to, you know, uh, walk to a friend's house and I'm going to sit here with your parents or you have to ride home from soccer. I'm going to take your parents home by car or um, you're going to play in the forest for an hour and that you can't come out until then. Mm -hmm. And what I kept seeing over and over again was that parents who wouldn't have let their kids do any of these things 
we're bragging about them the next day. Did you see, you know, he made dinner, he went to the store. And, and like, and afterward, long after the cameras had left and I was back home in New York, most of this is filmed in Canada. Um, the parents were writing me letters. Like now he's going to bike camp, a kid, you know, who wasn't allowed to ride a bike or now we let him go into the bathroom by himself. So, so what seems like a, a, thick sheath of ice that is anxiety. It just seems like, you know, it'll take years to melt it and a blowtorch. No, it's really thin. And the other side is just waiting for you to tap it with like a pencil, which is letting <laughs> your kid do one thing. And then you're changed and the kid is changed and you can't stop talking about how brave the kid is and how proud you are. So we really have been, you know, sold a bill of goods by a culture that's telling us your kid is in danger and you're bad if you're not with them all the time and they need you. And to turn your head from one direction to the other means that, you know, by the time you turn your head back, your kid won't be there anymore. That's all lies. Mm -hmm. And they're effective because they tap into our parental fear and love. But that what can also tap into your fear and love is realizing that like, my kid is gonna be okay without me. So you don't have to worry as much once you see that they can do that. So that's that's the purpose of Let Grow, to get yeah. people to to push people into having that fantastic world altering experience of letting go. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And I just I I watched the trailer you have of your documentary Chasing Childhood. Mm -hmm. And um, in that you quote this you say all the worry in the world doesn't prevent death it prevents life and i think that's a really important thing for us to remember you know that as we do really let our kids grow give them these growth opportunities um that really are theirs it's not like you know it's not like we really have to stand between them and those things at all but as as we can you know, just stand back and let this childhood thing happen, then we're, we're really giving our kids the gifts of confidence and competence that you are speaking of. So do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with the audience before we close? I think we've had a really wonderful discussion about this. Yeah, it was. I, I, think, I think we've gotten to our main points, which is that it's not you. It's the culture. It's not that everybody woke up one morning and was suddenly a neurotic harpy. I mean, obviously, if we're all feeling the same fears about things that we did that our parents let us do without a second thought, something has changed in the culture. We think it's, you know, more danger, more cars, Internet, predators, whatever it is. It's it's a culture of fear. And the only way to fight back is to do it in a group. Like with a, you know, it can be a group from church. It can be a group at school, but mm -hmm. you can't be the only one sending your kid to the park or on the subway because it feels wrong and scary. And there's a lot of judgment out there. But if everybody is doing it at the same time, mm -hmm. um, you can really shift the culture. And and if you do write to me, because I want to hear your tale of triumph or a tale of something that went wrong. And we'll, we'll think about it together. But it's Lenore, L-E-N-O-R-E -E, at let grow l-e-t-g-r-o-w dot org okay well thank you so much for being with us this has been delightful thank you for joining me for this episode of the compassion parenting podcast i'd love to hear your thoughts what resonated with you what questions came up let's continue the conversation on instagram at compassion parenting 
or within my free Facebook group, Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. Links are in the show notes. If you've gained insight from the time we've shared today, leave a review and subscribe. There's a quick how-to in the show notes. Have a blessed week. May you love yourself, your family, and the world wisely and well.